Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teaching professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, as mentioned, is my good friend and co-host, LPJ professional and Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. And as we were talking about, we both had a good Easter uh, holiday, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back in the swing of things, so to speak. Um, but uh, other than that, doing pretty well. We've got a great show this morning, Cindy. Uh, just here in a moment, we're going to bring on our, our very special guest. we just got one guest this morning, uh, Hyman Kim, and uh, she's a, a player on the Symmetra Tour, actually a two-time Symmetra Tour champion. Uh, we're going to bring her out here in just a second, but I want to mention this because I don't know if you got a chance on the weekend. I know you were uh, out uh, qualifying, but um, did you get a chance to watch the tournament uh, that Brooke Henderson I won? Not. I Wasn't that not. amazing, though? I couldn't. Bl- this girl's on fire. What? I mean, she is just I did not playing see her. It. You know, I mean, playing her. Yeah, I watched a little bit. I didn't get a chance to see it all. As I was telling you off air, I was pretty busy myself uh, doing different things, but I caught some highlights here and there. And I mean, man, she was just playing phenomenal golf. She is definitely uh, a well deserved win, but uh, she's a champion and, and uh, very, very proud of her. Uh, as most of you probably know, over the last several years, uh, I'm Canadian, so um, and Brooke, of course, is Canadian, so she's really uh, climbing up the ranks and, and doing uh, some great work uh, out in the golf course and making the rest of us Canadians very proud of her. So uh, keep keep the momentum going, uh, Brooke, and uh, we'll keep uh, we'll keep rooting for you and supporting for you. But job well done. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit this half, uh, the second half of the show. Uh, about a, a very important area of the game, actually two areas, uh, wedge play, and then we're going to talk a little bit about hybrids. Some people uh, have a little misunderstanding of how to actually hit their hybrids, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, uh, Cindy, let me just introduce our, our first guest, and then we'll, we'll bring her out to join us and, and have a great discussion. As I mentioned, her name is Hyman Kim. Uh, she's 30 from Seoul, Korea. Uh, she's had a total of 121 career starts on the Smets Tour entering into the 2019 season, uh, nine top 10 finishes and 61 cuts made. Uh, as mentioned, also, she's a two-time Symmetra Tour champion at the 2017 PacMed Golf Classic and the 2018 Murphy USA El Dorado Shootout, which I believe they're playing uh, this weekend, so she'll be uh, the returning champion. Uh, here's a very interesting side note. She donated the entirety of her winner's paycheck of $15,000 from her first win to the LPGA USGA Girls Golf Program and also gave an additional $5,000 of her uh, second win as well. So obviously... Uh, giving back uh, to the game is, is something very important to her. And here's also an additional uh, interesting uh, point. Uh, she also enjoys watching Broadway musicals. And uh, if she wasn't a professional golfer, Cindy, uh, one might find her uh, performing in a musical. So we'll have to talk to her about that a little bit. But, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest this morning, Hyman Kim. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. 
Good morning, Hyman. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Well, we're happy to have you. Now, where are you this morning? Where's the tournament being uh, this week? Oh, well, we are at the El Dorado right now. Yeah, you were right. Right. I thought I thought it was this week. Where is it played though? What 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 state are you in? Um, we are at Arkansas. Oh, okay. So you're not quite as early. <laughs> The last the reason why I asked you is the last few weeks, Cindy, we've had uh, most of the girls calling in have been in California, so they were a couple of hours behind us. Uh, we're obviously on Eastern time here, so uh, we appreciate you just still getting up early and, and joining us on the show. But, um, uh, Cindy, if you want to go ahead, uh, go first, and we'll start the discussion. So if you were in a musical, would you be singing or dancing? <laughs> I think I need to change um uh, fix my prof- profile thing because yeah I love to watch the uh, um in Broadway but I didn't mean to I'm a good singer. <laughs> yeah, but I like I like to sing. Yeah. You like to sing but nobody wants to listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much. <laughs> Very good. What what um, Hyman? What uh, got you interested in musicals? When did like when did you first start uh, seeing them, and and who got you interested in them? Oh uh, no, I basically like to um, watch the live shows. I never been, but I never been to concert. Uh, my probably my like a concert is my uh, first concert watching is uh, my Broadway show for sure, uh, for sure. And then then uh, it's more easy to understanding because. They're they're singing and also they're telling the story about this whole story and it's because I liked it because of uh, Disney uh, Disney movies I guess so right. I, I guess my, many people not familiar with singing and singing and talking but it's just so um, common or very normal thing to me uh, listening music and uh, telling this story. <laughs> Well, it certainly would be uh, an interesting uh, career change, but uh, I think you're doing very, very well in your golf career, so you might want to stay there for a little while and maybe consider doing something a little bit down the road. Um, Cindy, (laughs) sorry, go ahead. So how have you been playing so far this year? Uh, I've been struggling with my knee uh, knee injury for a couple tournaments. Uh, My cartilage uh, level uh, went uh, really low right now, so I'm kind of uh, working on my knee uh, knee treatment more. And but um, I feel much better now, and uh, I feel better with my swing. And I fixed a couple things with my swing because of my because of my knee. So I feel better since the last tournament in California. So I hopefully I I feel much more confident this week. <laughs> Well, that's good. How did you injure yourself? Uh, the doctors say I used too much. <laughs> it's not about oh, wow. accident. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's tough when you hurt your knee, especially as a golfer, because obviously you're using your low, lower body to drive your power, and and so you obviously have something in common with Tiger Woods because he had a knee injury. Did you have to have any sort of operation at all, or just therapy? Oh no! I mean, I'm about to getting worse, so I try to make it um, like a make it slow as as much as I can. Like I 
heard about Tiger's uh, um, X-ray or MRI thing, it, they the doctor says it's unbelievable they he can actually hit the ball with that knee situation. But my knee is pretty pretty okay compared with that for now. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's good. good. Yeah, go ahead, Cindy. So. This will be your second time you are defending your title. Are you looking forward to this week's tournament? Oh, I was uh, I was very excited to coming back for sure. And um, um, I I mean, first of all, I really like this golf course. It's very challenging, and um, um, it's very challenging on the green and the on the from the tee also. And and uh, and this is. Yeah, obviously this is my first time um being a defense champion. So I'm also kind of nervous about things, but also I appreciate how people are welcoming me about and um I see a lot of picture on the on the golf course. It's very uh very um very new experience for me. I'm very excited. That's awesome. So do you have to limit the amount of practice you do because of your knee? Yes, I definitely doing that. I normally I spend a lot of time on the range. Of the, uh, my whole like whole day is a uh, practice day for me every day um, since last, uh, until last year. And then I when I got injured, so I I felt I I keep telling myself practice is not the not the answer there's i'm sure there's another answer to some other other parts like more focus more visualizing more like a breathing so i try to find something other things for 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 my golf game right now awesome Hmm. very good will also help you (laughs) yes yeah that's good um do you you know, when you're practicing, Hyman, you know, you mentioned you're obviously trying to not over-practice because of your knee. Do you, um, from time to time, do you wear, maybe even not so much on tournament play, but during your practice, do you wear any sort of like a, um, what am I thinking of, like a brace of any kind or a knee? Yeah, uh, yeah like a, know, I know what you're saying. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I tried a couple times, but my PT uh, didn't want me to because it's um, when, whenever I'm using it, it makes my uh, legs weaker, and then and also it, I'm I'm not feeling that much hurt, so it means also like I I will force to swing it harder, so right. so it means that also I'm not paying attention on my body a lot. So he, they want me to train myself walking more straight, like just mm-hmm. uh, and also. Um, he they want me to keep aware I'm get injured. Don't don't let uh, let it fool me. Right, right. I I understand. Um, so let me ask you, Hyman. When it comes to your practice, um, is there a part of the game or what area of your game do you struggle with the most? Is it your putting or is it uh, your driving? What areas What areas are your strong uh, areas of your game, and what areas do you still struggle with from time to time? I, um, it's hard to tell because it's, um, I think it's more about the course. When they're the golf course uh, setting up 
really make a lot of birdies. I think I'm more struggle about that kind of golf courses because I have to make a birdie all the time, every hole. I mean, I, all, always I try to make a birdie, but the attitude of the golf course is totally different. Like uh, El Dorado and, or some other golf courses had a really difficult setup. My mind is just so peaceful because par is okay. But some golf mm-hmm. courses, par is not okay. Like, that right. makes me so stressful um, during the tournament when I make a par, and uh, sometimes I make uh, I get upset. So that's what I struggle about. So, in other, in other words, if I understand you correctly, if if a course sets up or, or traditionally sets up where you should be making more birdies and you're not, that causes you mm-hmm. the anxiety, correct? Yes, yes. Right. Okay, I got you. So it's more of a course management thing is where sometimes you uh, struggle with a little bit. It's not so much your, your actual physical ball striking or putting and things like that. It's actually navigating on the course and setting yourself up for, for more opportunities. If you're not able to do that for some reason, that gives you the most stress or anxiety. Yes. I got gotcha. you. So what do you do to alleviate that? What do you do to try and help and build that um, that confidence up in that area of your game? Oh, that's a good question. I'm still looking for it. I, I couldn't find any answer <laughs> about it, but mm, um, I don't know. I mean, I try to be not to get upset these days because right. – after I watched the Tiger Woods interview, um, when he mm-hmm. after he won the Masters, it um, right. it touched my heart a lot. Like he, I couldn't see Tiger like ten years ago. He he got so much softer, and uh, he really generous with talking with the, uh, all the press. And um, he he was I I feel like he was very honest. He um, like he said it's just um. He was just thankful being on the golf course right now because he was not able to walk. He he his body condition right. was not able to play in golf anymore. But now he can play. He can still compete, and then he won. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think I need to feel that way. Uh, I I need to feel more appreciated about I'm playing on this tour and competing all the good players all over the world. So yeah, that's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to feel that way yeah and 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 certainly i I agree with you his his uh interviews and that have been very inspirational i mean he's 43 years old he's had a lot of injuries not just his knee but he's had his back as well that has given him a lot of trouble over the last decade and he's finally at a place now that he's able to play with comfort um and obviously um the fact that he won the masters shows that he still has the game in him to compete at the highest level. Um, Cindy, I want to ask you something just in, in lieu of what uh, Hyman was talking about, because I know this is an area that, that you can really help somebody with. It, if she's really struggling with her course management, what would you suggest if she was a player that you were working with um, to help overcome some of those challenges? I think because we all know that we can't make anything happen, So I think what I'm hearing you say, and tell me whether or not I'm right, is that the more difficult the golf course, the better you play. Is that true? Yes. Do you hit the ball far? Oh, I'm not. I'm not a far hitter. 
Okay, so I think that maybe I'm I'm just like you that sometimes we think we're we don't measure up because everybody else is getting to the par fives and two, and you're not getting there because you don't hit it far enough. Mm-hmm. Therefore, everybody's going to make birdies, and therefore you believe that you have to try harder, which really makes you not as good. Right. Is that true? Yes. So, again, you know, the hardest thing in the world is to play in your own game and just play for yourself. And I think that's the only answer there is. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's so much pressure internally that you're putting on yourself to perform, you know, above and beyond that that makes you miss shots. Therefore, you don't make birdies. And sometimes you'll make a bogey. I would just, I I agree with you to take the mindset of Tiger of just be grateful you can play. And and the Mm -hmm. fact that you've got a knee injury now, the more you get negative and browbeat yourself, the worse this is going to get. So you just have to say, you know what, I should be just grateful that I'm out here playing. And and I I totally agree with that. Yeah, you just got to take the pressure off yourself. I tried to qualify yesterday for the U.S. Senior Women's Open. Mm-hmm. And and I'm 63 years old, and I shot 79. I was six over, and I'm second alternate. So mm-hmm. I was mad that I didn't make it. But on the other hand, you know, I got friends that are dying. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. and and I'm and I'm playing in a Legends Tour event coming up. In fact, I'm playing the three Legends Tour events coming up. So it's like sometimes you just got to be grateful, and you got to keep trying. And, and, you know, the mindset is you got to do the best you can. And if that's all you do and it's not good enough, then that's okay. But if you put, if you browbeat yourself, you know, like yesterday, I tried too hard as well. And I missed some shots. I missed four shots. So if you say, okay, take those four shots back, would you have made it? Yes. But did I learn and recover from those bad shots? Yes. Did I make a bad mm-hmm. swing because I have a bad swing? No, I made the bad swing because I tried too hard. Or I didn't yeah. trust it, or I didn't commit to the club, you know. So there's so many other reasons that, you know, this game is really hard, and you're one of the best players in the world. And, and again, I'm one of the best players in the world. I'm 38th on the career points list of the Legends Tour. So it's like sometimes we just get on ourselves so much. It's like, shut up. You're doing great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing, one other thing is I think that people, um, when I went to this tournament yesterday, I said, you know what? I just want to challenge myself to hit the best shot that I can at the time. Mm-hmm. And the little voices in my head, sometimes it's other people. You know, well, what'd you shoot? Did you make it? You know, it's like, yeah. you know what? I don't care what they think. I really don't care what they think. They're, they wish they could do what I'm doing. Mm. So sometimes it's the pressure. When I played on the LPGA Tour and I would miss the cut, I would come home and everybody at my club would say, what's the matter with you? You keep missing the cut. I'm like, don't you think I'm trying? I believe that it. No one knows how hard it is except you or someone else who's done it. So right. the right. only thing you can do is try to make the best swing you can at the time. 
and just keep plodding along and whatever happens, happens. If you give it your best shot and it's not good enough, at least you tried. If you give Mm -hmm. it your best shot and it's good enough, clearly it's good enough. You've won twice. So we know you can do it. So that's my advice. Uh, Thank you so much. That's a really kind words. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that. Every word. Right. Well, it's just, and, it's just and, so hard. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And it's definitely some very sound advice, Cindy. Um, you know, and Hyman, the other thing that Cindy just, you know, pointed out is the fact that you have won. And the most important part of that is you know you can do it. You've got the game to be able to do it. You've done it twice uh, here on this Metro Tour. And more importantly, this week you're coming in as the defending champion. So, you know, you can draw on one of the great things. Um, the more you play is the more experience that you develop. And now's the time to draw on that experience. You know, think back to um, the 2018 Eldorado, uh, you know, shootout. What did you do during that tournament to be able to come through as the winner? You know, think back, you've played this course before, so you're familiar with it. Um, so draw on that experience. And that's something that some of the younger girls that are just coming there for the first time don't have that you do. So that's something that you can take. And whether you're hitting it as far or or hitting it as straight or as perfect as everybody else, as Cindy said, is irrelevant. You have to play within Mm -hmm. yourself. And if you draw on those, yeah, if you draw on those experiences that you've had, then you'll be a winner again. And even if you don't win this week or next week or the week after, um, as long as you've gone in there, she mentioned, playing your best game, then you're going to be happy with that. Mm. I agree. So let me ask you um, one other thing, too, about um, your game. Now, something I want to mention, which I was very, very impressed with, uh, it's actually, I, I take that back, it's not so much about your game, um, but it's a testament to your character, is you donated um, your first paycheck and then some additional money from your second paycheck. Um, that tells a lot, obviously, um, that you want to give back. Why was that important for you to do, do you think? I mean, um, I, my, I've been um, watching my parents uh, helping other people a lot. And, um, and also, I see a lot of players like Amy Parr, IK Kim, um, doing a certain like donation thing. I really mm-hmm. uh, like it. I, it touched my heart, and I was always wishing uh, if I win mm-hmm. the Sinatra Tour or an Altitude Tour, I wish I have a chance to do that, like um, giving back to other people. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the golf girl, golf is basically our future. I mean, if they're not under, uh, if if they're not there, we don't have any future, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, I was always dreaming about it. <laughs> well, as I said, that's a that's a great uh, testament to your character. Um, you know, lots of people have, have have done nice things, Nat, but to do it so early on in your career like that really says a lot about how you were raised by your 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 parents, and obviously they've taught you some very valuable lessons, and that's important because I think in this day and age. You know, especially, you know, you you are considered an athlete. You know, some people may not consider golfers athletes, but they are athletes. You have to be in very good shape, um, <laughs> not only yeah. physically, but, 
but mentally, I mean, you're not maybe not running wind sprints or you're not, you know, leaping over hurdles, but, you know, to walk the golf course uh, for several rounds in a row is not an easy feat. So you've got to have some stamina and, you know, to be able to um, understand the importance of the future of the game and something else I want to mention to you as well. uh, And you are probably maybe not that familiar with her, but um, the LBJ recently lost uh, one of the founding members, uh, Marilyn Smith, who passed away a few few weeks ago. Something that I would like to say to you, <clears throat> and to any of the other young ladies coming up, it's not only important to look to the future of the game, but it's also important to look back and remember the past of the game and how you got there. Because without people like Marilyn and many of the others that founded the LPJ, you wouldn't be where you are today. Um, there wouldn't be an LPJ tour. So mm-hmm. it's equally important to look back and reflect and respect the many women that worked and climbed a lot of those uh, mountains and hurdles, if you will, to get you to where you are today. So I just wanted to mention that because I think it's important. And I think what you're doing, uh, I commend you uh, for being in a position to be able to donate that money to help the future of the game, because that's also important, as, as I mentioned. And uh, you should be very proud of yourself, as I'm sure your parents are. Yeah, I have to I'll, ask I'll try. one more question. Go ahead, question. Cindy. The, the obvious question. So if you donated your whole purse earnings, can you tell me, do you, you must have sponsors to help pay for your playing? Do you have sponsors? Yes, or do you... yes I do. Okay. Um, it's an um, architecture company in Korea. They supported me awesome. uh, for a lot of years. I really appreciate them too. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. And and obviously that's an important, uh, you know, part for, for playing on tour because, you know, it, it's it's obviously expensive to be able to do that and to have a good support system like that to afford you the opportunities to do that uh, is, is equally as important as well. And, and Cindy, you know, something else very quickly, um, you know, I, I think it's good to have outside passions. Um, you know, you teach in addition to, you know, continuing to play on the, on the Legends Tour and things like that. And obviously, and, and you know, we, we joke a little bit about this, but, um, you know, Hyman, you know, I don't know whether you're ever going to be in a musical or not, but that's something um, that obviously you enjoy. And you you need to take those opportunities whenever possible to really enjoy uh, something other than golf. I mean, we all love golf and we enjoy playing and, and being involved in whatever capacity but if if watching or listening to you know music is something that you're very passionate about, that's something that you have to take time to. That sort of gives you balance in life. Because if you're on the golf course 24/7, you're going to burn out. Would you agree with that, Cindy? Absolutely, absolutely. We all need to um, have other things. Otherwise, it just you know everything you do just. It can ruminate in your head over and over and over again. So I agree with you with absolutely watching the Tiger interview, being grateful that you're on the golf course, that you can still swing with your knee and let it rip because you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. That's right. That's right. Well, Hyman, we want to thank you for um, joining us this morning. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you uh, on the show, and we want to wish you the best of luck, not only in this week, 
but in the weeks to come. So keep, uh, as Cindy said, keep swinging hard and uh, take care of that knee and just have some fun. Thank you very much, Ted. Thank you very much, Cindy. Appreciate you having me All again. Right. You have a great day. Thank you. Have a great Thank day. You. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that was our very special guest, uh, Hyman Kim uh, from the Symmetra Tour, out there battling it with the ladies uh, this week uh, on the uh, Murphy USA El Dorado shootout, and hopefully she will hoist that trophy one more time uh, again this season. Um, You know, very, uh, I don't know if you sense this or not, Cindy, but just listening to her um, when she was talking, she's obviously a very humble young lady, Um, you know, very... Um, obviously probably could use a little more confidence in in certain areas, but at the same time, um, very humble and very respectful of the game in itself. You know, it's not just all about their winning and winning and winning and, you know, me, 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 me. She obviously wants to make sure that she leaves, um, you know, something, uh, a little something for the next generation uh, that are going to follow her. And I think that, uh, again, really sends, uh, speaks volumes for her character. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. She's awesome. Yeah. yeah, she'll do well. And um, I think that she's got a good head on her shoulder. And she obviously, it sounds like, uh, you know, as we mentioned, she's got a very good um, support system, not only with her family, but also um, sponsors and things around her that will uh, will help, uh, you know, keep her in, in, uh, in good company. So um, we wish her well. And uh, we thank her for taking time this morning. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about Cindy. I thought we would talk about um, wedge play first off, and then if we've got time, we'll we'll talk about the hybrid as well. Um, this is an area of the game, Cindy, that I think a lot of people, we know they don't practice enough, number one. Um, they don't spend enough time, you know, when they get out on the practice tee, um, whether it be in between lessons or on their own. And they, they just seem to not really understand um, some of the basics. So I thought we would talk a little bit about that and maybe help people understand um, what they need to do, number one, when they're, when they're using your wedges, uh, but also, um, you know, the importance of practicing and maybe some things uh, that uh, we can help them along the way. And the first thing I want to talk about is, is really setting up to, to be able to hit some crisp wedge shots because a lot of people uh, set up as everything, and, uh, you know, they, they get into a, a, a situation where, um, you know, they're not really setting up uh, in, in the proper um, posture and the proper um, alignment and so forth. And we're mainly talking about these are primarily your, your 50 to upwards of, of 120, for those of you that can really step on it, uh, yards. So this is your short game. Um, and one of the things, that, a good component, I think, Cindy, um, is – or actually an error that a lot of people make is they get too wide uh, with their stance. Uh, you want sort of a narrow stance because most part you're only hitting uh, really um, a half to a three-quarter wedge. You're not really swinging. I mean, even though we, we say you're taking a full swing, you're not really swinging like you would with uh, your longer irons or your driver. Um, and, and the reason why you do that is obviously for accuracy. Um, your, your wedges are what you're going to dial in. So the other thing too is, um, which is important is you want to have um, when you're setting up, even for your full wedge shot, you want to have a little bit more. If you're um, a right-handed golfer, you want to have a little bit more uh, weight on your uh, left foot uh, as opposed to sort of a 50-50. You might have, want to have like a 60-40, and that helps encourage uh, a little bit more of a descending blow. 
what are your thoughts, you know, when you're working with your students, Cindy, what are your thoughts um, in, in sort of getting them into a good position to be able to hit some good solid wedge shots? What are my thoughts? I think you should simplify it as much as possible. So mm -hmm. I believe that um, changing the distance of how far you can hit a ball. So what I would tell someone, let's say you've got a 56-degree wedge, and when you grip it at the end and you take a full swing, it goes maybe 80 yards. Mm -hmm. So if you want it to go 70, 60, 50, I would change where I grip it. I tell my students they can grip down, grip middle, grip end, and then they can change the size of their swing. So you can, you can say, you know what, I'm only going to use one club and I'm going to change my swing, or I'm only going to use one swing and I'm going to change my club. But you have to make a decision on which way works better for you. Right. Right. Well said. Um, something else, too, that was very interesting, and, and this is – you know, going to age me a little bit, but um, many, many years ago, obviously, you know, I always like to watch some of the great uh, teaching videos by some of the, the touring professionals, and Tom Kite comes to mind, and something that Tom Kite, he was really one of the very early, uh, I won't say necessarily he was the first one, but he was one of the very early um, professional golfers off the PGA Tour that really uh, had extra wedges in his bag. Um, you know, traditionally, most played with a pitching wedge and, uh, you know, a sand wedge, um, but he brought in uh, other, you know, wedges that had degrees in between those. Um, and the reason he did that is he felt that because the short game was so important, he wanted to be able to have um, a wider range uh, in his uh, wedge play. And something that he did that was really, really interesting, and it kind of goes on to, to what you just said about, um, you know, making those adjustments. He actually used to put a very thin piece of tape on all of his wedges and on, on the, uh, the shaft of the wedge near the, near the handle. And what he would do is he would, of course, he would write this on first, and he would tape it around, but he would put on there um, the different yardages that he would hit each wedge. So in other words, if he took a um, half back halfway through, how far that wedge would hit and what he had to do. If he put his hands uh, gripped a little bit lower, he put, you know, he gripped an inch down, and again, halfway back, halfway through, whatever the, the distance was uh, that he would get with that. And the reason why he did that is so that if he went out on the practice tee, it would give him a gauge with each of his wedges making the various adjustments how far he would hit the ball. Now, obviously, in tournament play, he's, he's not going to have that there, but it was designed to help. Now, you don't necessarily have to go to the extent that he didn't tape it around there, but I think it's a great idea to maybe have like a little uh, card, if you will, or a cheat sheet when you go to the range and make note of the different yardages with the different adjustments um, for each of your wedges that you have in your bag. You should really do it for all of your clubs. Um, but I think this is a great way and a great guide so that when you get out in the golf course and you're actually playing in an event, you've got that sort of memory of what you've been doing on the practice tee and you've got those numbers in your head and say, okay, with my, my 56 degree wedge, if I do this and do that, I'm going to be able to hit it this yardage. And it gives you a level of confidence. Um, I don't know if you ever had a chance to see that. It was an old tape, but um, it was very, very interesting. In fact, he did it with, uh, I think, Payne Stewart and Craig Statler, I think, were the other players that were on. This was an old, um, like I said, I'm dating myself, a VHS. 
but it was a very, very uh, well put together for its time uh, analogy of how to really work your wedges. And I want to ask you what you think about something. Do you do something similar? I don't mean taping it, but do you do something? Do you kind of keep track for yourself uh, the different various distances that you hit each of your wedges given different circumstances? I do. And you know what's funny? That there was recently an article uh, Dave Pelz wrote about that's where Tom Kite and all these mm-hmm. guys got it. And Alan Miller was in that pack of uh, players, the mm-hmm. first ones that he worked with, which uh, created the lob wedge. But right. absolutely, when I was on the big break, which again, I'm dating myself now, I practiced <laughs> where I was gripping and how big I was swinging to fly right. the ball certain distances. And I created a little cheat sheet. I typed it out big enough that I didn't need my glasses to read it because I didn't play with glasses and uh, laminated it. And I used that on the big break, which is why I did so well with the short game portion. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very important. And I, I just want to read a few things out and, and then we'll continue on to discussion. Some other important key factors to remember. And again, every, we understand everybody's game is different and, and there there might be some modifications. So these are just sort of a generalization that I'm that I'm reading here. Um, but it gives you a good guide to work with. One of the other things, too, that a lot of people make a mistake with um, with their wedges is uh, neglecting to really set the club early. In other words, you want to take it back with your arms while simultaneously hinging your wrist. So you want to actually um, set your, your wrist a little bit earlier. Uh, the club head, of course, is in front of your body with the shaft parallel to the ground along your toe line. Um, you want to use your body to rotate to the top of your uh, abbreviated backswing, whatever that might be. Um, and this is something, again, more for, for practice, but um, you want to pause um, once you get to, to whatever the top is for you uh, and check to make sure that your left arm runs parallel to the ground and that the grip points directly behind the ball. Um, one of the things that I'll, I see a lot of people do, uh, many amateurs do, Cindy, and I'm sure you've seen this, and this is why I wanted to mention about the wrist, is quite often what we'll see them do is they, they think of that one-piece takeaway uh, into their backswing, which is fine, but they don't get the wrists involved. And what they do is they're very stiff going back. They get up to that whatever that top position is, and when they come down, because they haven't really set their wrists properly, they're not actually able uh, to make good contact with the ball. So what ends up happening is either they're flipping their wrists, trying to help the ball get in the air, or they keep it stiff, uh, the wrists are not, uh, you know, un- unhinging properly because they haven't really been hinged the, f- the first place, and they end up hitting in behind the ball and hitting it fat. So there's a lot of inconsistency. What were some of the things that, and, and I know you've talked with Alan for, for years, and uh, you know about his game that's obviously helped you with your game. What do you remember him, if anything, that he talked to you about his wedge play? Obviously, working with Dave Pels. <clears throat> well, to be honest with you, he's more of a field player. So when mm-hmm. you talk about where to grip and how big to swing, it yeah. just doesn't work for him. So when we do our uh, short game sessions or our boot camps or whenever we're teaching, we're so different. I do the grip down, grip middle, grip end, and change the right. size of my swing. He grips everything at the end and just changes the distance the ball goes by how soft or how fast he swings. So he's total feel, and I'm a little more methodical. So either or, as long as you know what you are, it can work for you. 
Right, right, exactly. And, and just some other points I want to mention. And, and again, um, you're exactly right. I mean, everybody's different, so you have to find what works for you. But again, these are just things that might be a helpful guide uh, for those of you that do need a little bit more uh, information. Um, obviously, starting down in your, in your downswing, uh, you want to slightly shift towards the target and begin unwinding your body. So it's more of a body movement. It's not so much a hands and arm. Um, and your body really uh, should do all the work. And as you continue to unwind, uh, use your body movement, not your arms, to control the speed and force. Uh, you should feel a connection between all key parts, club, arm, and body. And, uh, and this goes to the point that I said earlier. Uh, many amateurs, or most amateurs, set their wrist much too late, which leads to overswinging, uh, a disconnection, and, of course, uh, <laughs> double bogeys. Um, so once you master a body-first sequence with a balanced near full finish, your wedge game will certainly uh, improve uh, quite a bit. And, and I, I agree with what you said about Alan. Um, you know, some players are very, very good field players, and I'm not trying to suggest that you need to get more mechanical, but I think if you understand um, how some of the basic principles, if you will, of good wedge play, um, then you can kind of take your own uh, feeling, if you, if you will, if you're a field player, um, but this giving you an idea, you know, again, you want to keep your, your weight a little bit more on your lead foot. For If you're a right-handed uh, golfer, that's, of course, going to be left. If you're a lefty like Phil Mickelson, that's going to be your right leg uh, or right foot, rather. is going to uh, carry a little bit more uh, weight. And what I don't want to see, and <laughs> I laugh because when I tell people that, I've got to really be specific and, and really clarify because I've, I've actually – explain to people you know you need to put a little more weight on your on your lead foot and when i see them in their in their their setup it's like the leaning tower of pisa <laughs> they actually lean their entire body over and to the point where it looks like they're almost about ready to fall over um so it, it's not leaning your whole body if you will it's just shifting the weight just slightly over onto your lead foot and that just helps you uh with the transition the other another good tip as well uh, that many uh, good players do is they will actually open their stance just slightly, not a lot, but just slightly, uh, and that helps to clear the hips a little bit as well. But I agree, um, you know, you have to first kind of decide whether you're more of a field player or if you're a little bit more mechanically inclined. Um, what about some other great uh, tips that you uh, think, Cindy, would be beneficial to some of our listeners? You know, I really believe that most people aren't sure which club to use where. So I right. see students using a lob wedge that where they have a really long shot and they need to roll mm-hmm. the ball. So chip, I, I say chip and run um, basically mean the ball's going to run. There's more room to roll it than there is to fly it. And a pitch shot mm-hmm. is where you have to fly it over more things. So I tell my students, make sure that you take a club with less loft if you need to roll it. They can hit a great shot, but their distance control is off because they're using the Mm. wrong tool. Do you ever find that? Yeah. Uh, And and you actually raised an excellent point. Um, The lob wedge, as great as it has been to the game, has also been – it carried one of the the, the biggest um, problems for amateur golfers. One thing that I see um, many of them do, they you know they see these guys doing these great flop shots and the ladies as well. 
So they think, well, this is what I'm going to do. And they'll, they'll get into, uh, you know, they'll be in the fairway, they're maybe just a few yards short of the green. And they think, well, I'm going to flop it back to the pin because the pin's cut a little further in the back. And they're right in the middle of the, the fairway, and it's very tightly mown. And the problem with that is with the, wa- uh, the lob wedge is they, first off, they don't set up properly with it. And they end up either skipping and blading the shot uh, or they take a, a huge divot and end up hitting it fat. It's not the right club. If you've got an open green uh, and the bunkers are off to the side and there's no, nothing impeding uh, your shot, this is where maybe a good bump and run or hitting uh, your less lofted wedge and just hitting just a little... Uh, you know, just a little bit of a short pitch to get it running onto the green. Again, depending on the distance, you might even want to go down to a, a nine or an eight iron and, and bump and run it uh, like that. This is something that I see all the time, uh, Cindy, as I'm sure you do, with people pulling out the wrong uh, club uh, for the shot. And this is where I think what a great drill for a lot of people to do is to set up, um, you know, maybe it's 20 feet uh, off the front of the, of the green or 15 feet and to take three or four different clubs and try the same shot and then gauge the results that you get. So in other words, take a lot more lofted club and try to pitch it back, maybe take a less lofted club like an eight iron even and try to bump and run it up there and see what happens and find and do several shots of each and find what gives you the best result most consistently. Because if you're hitting it with your, your wedge, Cindy, and you're falling short all the time um, because it's checking up, you know, on the green and it's not getting back to the pin, um, but you're hitting your eight iron and you're sort of uh, a bump and run or a chip and run and you're getting back close to the pin, well, that's obviously the club you should be playing with. What do you think about that? Again, absolutely correct. I think so many people, and I'm guilty of this myself, I have a 50 and a 54-degree wedge and along with my pitching wedge, and I had a shot yesterday, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I should be using my pitching wedge here instead of my 50. So just mm-hmm. be open to trying different shots and see what happens mm-hmm. because I can tell you for sure that um, you got to choose the right club. That will make life much easier. Right. And more often than not, if you – this is another reason too, Cindy, why post-round – inventory, if you will, of, of your game is critical because just as you mentioned earlier in the show, you talked about there were probably four key shots throughout your round um, yesterday in the qualifier um, that you knew if you got them back. Um, understanding where you made the mistakes in your round and what you could have done differently um, is going to help you for the next time you get out and play. Uh, and that's why it's important to, you know, to maybe jot down some notes. Obviously, you've got to be um, you know, uh, cognizant of uh, slow play and things like that. But, you know, when you're playing these holes, as your playing partners are stepping up to the ball and, and doing their thing, make a quick note. Um, you know, have a little short little pad with you, or even if you've got a spot on the on the back of the, the scorecard, if there's room, uh, some of them have a little area you can put some notes. And just jot down, you know, some of the things that on that particular hole, you know, maybe you chose the wrong club. Instead of using your wedge, you should have used that eight iron or, or vice versa. Uh, and just make a note of that so that the next time you get out there, you're going to think, okay, I remember if you're faced with a similar shot, okay, this was not the right club selection for me. And these are things that you've got to be uh, cognizant of. And a lot of amateurs, this is why they lose strokes. It's not how well they hit it off the tee. It's around the short game 
uh, as I'm sure you and, and I'm sure Alan would agree with, this is where we see most of amateurs make mistakes. Absolutely. And sometimes right. pros. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is what I think what really gets me is if the best players in the world make mistakes, how can the rest of us not think that we're going to make mistakes? And this is what adds right. to the level of frustration. Yeah, this is what adds to the level of frustration for a lot of um, you know, players out there and even players like yourself that, that have the experience that have been out and battling it out on tour, um, you're going to make mistakes. And, you know, we're all human. We all do. Um, but it's, as you said earlier, um, you know, with, with our guest is it's, it's understanding and identifying, um, those mistakes and learning from them. Most importantly, if you're not learning from them, then you're just going to keep repeating the same mistakes all the time. Uh, if you're, you know, making note of it, whether it be a mental note or a physical note um, of some of the things that you've done, and then work on that after. The, the other big thing, that, and especially with the, with the short game, I see this a lot, is people will go out before a round, and, you know, they might remember what they did the last time, and instead of going out to a practice session, um, you know, in between the, the, the game that they've played, um, this time and the last time, they figure that they're going to do this before they play their next round. So they're going to go out there, you know, 30 minutes before they tee it up and start working on some of these changes. And that's the biggest mistake you can make as a player because now what you're going to do is you're going to tinker around with things and get yourself so confused and then you're going to tee it up and you're going to get out there and you're going to screw things up. The purpose of going to the range or the, the practice tee before any round is purely warm-up. That's not where and when you work on some of the fundamentals and some of the things um, or changes, if you will, that you need to make. That's purely a warm-up, and you look at what your game is. You know, you look how you're hitting the ball off the tee. You look how your wedges are going you know, on the putting green. Um, you want to you know, gauge, gauge the speed and things like that. That's something, Cindy, that I see a lot of amateurs make mistakes. They start tinkering around before they go out to play, and then they get out there and they wonder why the ball's going all over the place because they're trying to make changes right before a round. It doesn't make any sense. You agree? Well, I think that they're not they're not confident with what they're doing. They're not certain. Right. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, again, I can say that you've got to make a clear decision and then stick to it. So yep. Yesterday, as I reflect back, which I think, you know, everyone should have the courage to reflect back on their rounds and say, okay, where did I make mistakes? How did I mess this up? And how can I improve? <clears throat> I'm hitting the ball a little bit further than I have been because I'm really working on my swing, which is a good thing. Right. But mm -hmm. there were um, three or four shots that I wasn't certain that I had the right club. <clears throat> Therefore, mm -hmm. I didn't make a good swing. Because I wasn't right. totally committed. I wasn't positive. And, and therefore, you know, that costs you. So you really need to make sure that you're making a, a clear decision and you're sticking to the decision and then commit to the shot. And I think it's yeah. okay to make changes, but they have to be totally clear. You need to know what yes. you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you do, yeah. then, yeah, you're going to be way better for it. Right, right, exactly. 
Um, and, and yeah, there are certain things I, I don't disagree that you can do, um, you know, in a warm up session like that. Um, I, I, I was referring more to, you know, major monumental changes. And I see a lot of people, um, you know, they'll start, well, I'm going to just try and grip the club differently today than what I uh, have been. And that's not the time to do it because that's, because then you're going to get out there, you're not going to hit it right, then you're going to start monkeying around with your swing out in the golf course, and it's just going to add to the frustration. And I've seen player after player after player do this, and then they get out there, and about halfway through the round, they're so depressed, and you know they're looking for the closest CVS or pharmacy, you know, where they can get something to knock, you know, knock them out because they're so annoyed or ticked off at their round, and you know you just can't do that. You know, there's a time and a place. You have to practice with a purpose, and there's um, you have to set up some time. And when you're working with a, a golf professional, um, you know, they're going to obviously have some practice time with you and they're going to take you out in the golf course and put everything together. But then in between, the next time you see that professional, you need to make some conscious effort, whether you're doing some, some uh, you know, little drills that you can do, in, you know, in your own home, which there are many that you can do, or you uh, set aside some time. You have to decide what's important to you. And if you're not willing to set aside that time, then you're never going to improve. Um, and, and this is partially, Cindy, why, um, you know, handicaps have kind of stayed, stayed stagnant for so many years is because people are just not willing to put in the time and they think, well, I, you know, I don't have an hour. Well, you don't have to spend an hour. You can do 20 minutes, um, once or twice a week, um, very, very easily. One you can do at home and one you can do, uh, you know, down at the practice, uh, to you if you're, if you're close by. And if you can't do that, then, you know, find other ways that you can work on your game, but, um, but by just, you know, watching videos all the time and, and how to do this and how to do that, if you're not actually out there doing it yourself, you're never g- going to become a better player. And that's, you know, just, uh, uh, the cold, hard facts. And you know, yourself, Cindy, when you're busy doing other things and, and you haven't had the, uh, I remember, I think it was last season, you had mentioned this, that you, uh, or might've been the year before you had mentioned that you hadn't been out really practicing on your game as much and you just didn't feel as confident going out there. Um, so, you know, yourself, somebody at your level. If you're not out there practicing and working on your game, um, and then you have to step up in, into a pro-am or, or not a pro-am, but uh, um, you know, trying to qualify, you're not going to be at your feel at your best, right? And you're you're going to struggle a little bit. So, um, you know, it, it, even if you're not playing in a professional event, but you're playing, you know, wanting to play golf on a regular basis, if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort and practice with a purpose, um, you, you you just might as well pack up the clubs and find something else to do. Um, just some food for thought. Um, we got just a couple of minutes left, so I won't get into a big thing, but I do want to mention something about the hybrid because this is a, a club that can be very, very versatile, Cindy, for a lot of players out there. I want to just read something very quickly, uh, and then we'll have a, a brief discussion, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, hybrid is, I, I believe, is a very forgiving, versatile, and easy to hit for most golfers. Um, and if you're struggling to enjoy some of the benefits uh, you may be swinging it like a sweeping fairway wood motion, which is wrong. A lot of players get this. They see that uh, odd-shaped uh, head on a hybrid, and they think, okay, this is just another fairway wood. Um, the idea is you're not hitting it like a, a fairway wood. You're not sweeping the ball. Um, the result, obviously, is either thinner or fat content. So, uh, contact. Excuse me. So instead, you want to treat your hybrid more like a six iron. Uh, swing it around your body with enough of a descending blow to clip the ball uh, off the turf. And obviously, set, the setup uh, position will help. Um, and one of the things I just want to mention uh, very quickly, and I'll get your thoughts on it, um, how you feel about hybrids and, and your experience with it. Um, but one of the, the problems, again, because a lot of people think it's, it's like a, a fairway wood, 
is they get the ball sort of creeping too far forward in their stance, and it makes it very difficult to hit down the ball. So a great way to, to set up, and I found it works for me and it may work for, for others out there, is I place the toe of the hybrid against uh, my left heel uh, with the club face pointing towards my body. So in other words, I point the toe, I've got the club in my hand, I'm pointing, I'm, I'm pressing the, the toe of the hybrid against my uh, left heel because I'm a right-handed golfer. Uh, and the uh, club face, of course, as I mentioned, is pointing towards my body. So it's pointing towards me, and I set the ball opposite the hosel of the club. So it's usually a couple of inches uh, inside my left heel. This is really, in my opinion, a perfect ball position for a hybrid. What is your experience with hybrids? Do you use them much? Do you like them? Have you, like many uh, professionals, replaced your longer irons with that? Or are you uh, more of a traditionalist where you like to play with the longer irons as opposed to hybrids? No, I'm a cheap date. My irons are eight, nine wedge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am the queen of hybrids. I yeah. have a three, four, five, six, seven hybrid, and I love them. So yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, it, it it's really they've really helped to replace. I mean, I've I've got a couple as well. Uh, I've got a, a, a three. Actually, I've got a three, four, and five um, that uh, I, I sort of rotate out depending on the circumstances, depending on where I play. And I'll be honest. Um, I even like on, especially on short par fours where there's a lot of trouble out there, there might be a, a stream or something running across. I really love using my number three hybrid or even my number four hybrid because I can hit the ball still, believe it or not, still pretty uh, decent distance is I'll actually tee off with it. The trick is obviously you don't want to tee the ball up very much. You want to keep it fairly low. So you want to put the tee low on the ground uh, and the ball is just sort of barely sitting on, above the grass, just slightly. Um, so you, um, even though you're traditionally you're hitting it down a little bit, um, you want to get some forward momentum uh, with the club as well. But I've found it's a great, great club, even better, in, in my opinion, than some of the fairway woods um, for keeping uh, d getting good distance control, but also accuracy. They can be very, very accurate uh, if you're hitting them properly. Um, and... I would say to most golfers out there, if you don't have at least one in your bag, go to your local, uh, you know, PJ or LBJ professional, and get fitted for one, and find the based on where you play, um, the best one for you because you can. It's a very, very versatile. It's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most versatile clubs uh, in the bag uh, if used properly. And as you have done, Cindy, you've actually put several in your bag to replace some of those longer irons, and it gives you. Uh, more confidence. I mean, you're you're probably hitting them much better than you did long irons, correct? Holy cow, yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No comparison. Yeah, it just it, it, it. I mean, you can get some great distance with with some of them, and they can be very very accurate. But um, but as I was mentioning in the beginning, one of the problems a lot of uh, players do is. They, they try to sort of sweep it off like much like a fairway would, and that's really not the, the, the proper way to, to, to hit a, a hybrid. You want to actually have it uh, like an iron, like, a, like they suggest, uh, similar to a six iron uh, or even a seven iron. You want to have a slightly descending uh, blow because, uh, you know, Cindy, this is the other thing too that a lot of people get messed up on is they don't realize that the club's designed to get the ball airborne. And if you're trying to pick it off the tee or you're trying to pick it off the ground, uh, with an you know uh, uh, an upward motion, 
um, you're not going to only get very good distance, um, but you're not going to get a lot of height. You're going to get what we call in the industry a worm burner, uh, where you're basically hitting it low along the ground. And that might work in a windy day once in a while, but it's not going to be very consistent all day long. And uh, Correct. Any any thoughts that you might have on the hybrid? Yeah, any thoughts you might, final thoughts you might have on the hybrid that you would like to suggest? I think they're the best thing since sliced bread. And I can I can tell you yeah. that I've made over $100,000 on the Legends Tour uh, just by using them. So get yourself a hybrid. Yeah. And just one other uh, last point as well. The other thing, too, is when it, when it um, you know, when we're talking about your stance with a hybrid, uh, again, because it's, you know, playing it much more like an iron, um, you don't need an overly wide stance. This is another thing that a lot of people make mistakes is they get their stances too wide. Um, I, I, as a rule of thumb for me, I generally uh, set my feet under my, what would be under my armpits. Um, narrowing the stance makes it easier to deliver a descending blow and it prevents the roundness that leads to thin and fat shots. So just a couple of quick things on the hybrid and also on the wedge play as well. Obviously, go and see your local professional uh, to get in more in-depth and detail. We're not here to do that on the show. We're just here to give you some quick tips and some guides just to, to sort of follow through. So um, we want to thank you for joining us this morning here on the Women of Golf Show. As always, uh, Sydney and I enjoy uh, bringing you this, bringing you some great guests, and we will have um, the winner of the El Dorado uh, shootout next week on the show and I think we're going to have uh, I believe Paul Caster uh, PGA professional Paul Caster who's been on with me many times on uh, my other program Golf Talk Live is going to be joining us on the second half I believe next week so very excited to have him and uh, the winner from next week so on behalf of Cindy Miller uh, I'm Ted Rico. thank you uh, as always for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf Show we'll see you next week thank you Cindy thanks Ted alright bye bye Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf Show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.